you've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. Oh, well, hell, here we are again. I don't think a whole lot's changed since our last talk, and I can't say that I'm surprised. New viruses aren't so new anymore, but people are certainly still dumb as hell. So it seems appropriate that I tackle a dumb as hell movie with the help of my brother William, though I can vouch for this film's ability to elicit genuine gut laughs. And that film is none other than Weird Al Yankovic's 1989 cult classic, UHF. Now, compared to a lot of films and comedies from the late 80s, I I think this one has aged surprisingly well, uh, give or take a few socio-political foibles, but what the fuck? I mean, that's what I'm streaming right now is uh, one long string of socio-political foibles. But anyway, Billy did say that brevity is the soul of wit, and I can't necessarily vouch for anything particular clever from this episode, though I reckon we'll get a few chuckles out of you before we're through. Y'all go on and get comfy, because we are about to begin. William, are you there, sir? I am indeed. Excellent. Very good to have you, as always. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, so how the hell you been? It's. Uh, it seems like it's been a while since we've spoken. I'm all right. Just trucking along with work and, you know. Yeah. That's yeah, I kind of do know. I mean, what have you uh what have you been up to? Anything fun? No, I mean, I I for the probably the first time in my life have a sort of New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't like to call it that because it ties it to the new year, which, you know, was 2 months ago. Right? Um, was it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. So, it, it's more like a 2020 goal and that is mm-hmm. to learn some kind of new skill. Did you say some once kind a of month. nude skill? I mean, any skill is a nude skill if you try. Uh, but no, a new skill. So the gotcha. first one I did was learn how to tie a bow tie. Um, nice. Because it was for a, t- a 1920s themed party. And so I was like, well, here comes mm-hmm. number one, tie a bow tie. So I did it and I think I can still do it, but I haven't tried since then. Uh, the second one was origami gotcha. and getting comfortable enough with that to do it consistently. So I'm two for How's two. How's that going? Oh, fine. Uh, I'm I'm comfortable enough making dogs and little boats to move on to something else now. Have you made any frogs? No. Uh, oh, you should, made, uh, uh, you should do that. I have made several little pianos out of paper. Little pianos? I don't think I've ever seen a paper piano. Here, I'll, there's one actually on my desk. I'll send it send you a picture in a minute. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, have you seen any good movies lately? I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't been to the movies much. Um, mm. Gosh, if you named a movie, I may have seen it, but everything well, kind of becomes that... a blur. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I guess the last one that you and I were both really anticipating was the rise of skywalker did you finally get around to that oh yeah i did actually our company's christmas party was to watch rise of skywalker Mm, you know i think you told me that actually so that was a silly question my memory kind of sucks so i apologize it happens yeah what did you think of that uh it was better than the last jedi you think so i thought so 
it's kind of funny after having seen the rise of skywalker i appreciated the last jedi a lot more Mm. as uh as a film and you know i'm sure that people have heard me say i kind of flip-flopped on my attitude towards the last jedi the first few times i saw it but over time i really do appreciate it as a film and i actually am a pretty big fan of ryan johnson and um so i was stoked when he did the last jedi but i still just you know and it's just me well (laughs) i know it's not just me but you know i i could I can say honestly that it just didn't jibe with me personally. And that's not a criticism of his filmmaking abilities or his storytelling abilities at all. I mean, the last, uh, well, I don't want to say the last movie we watched, but we watched Knives Out recently and it was mm-hmm. like, bam, Ryan Johnson, love, love you. You know, <laughs> I was like, but don't just don't ever fucking touch Star Wars again because you clearly don't get it. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that point. At least I haven't seen Knives Out, but it it looks to be like an old style who done it in the style of maybe um Clue or um gosh, what's another one? Uh Murder by Death. Right. Yeah, and he's got a real knack for that sort of thing. He's a very clever filmmaker. And uh and I I haven't seen a movie that he's done that I did not like. So, you know, it's just it I think that having said that, The Last Jedi is a fine film, um, and I do appreciate it, but jumping onto The Rise of Skywalker from The Last Jedi being a strong film, it didn't feel right to me. Um, I, I still had a lot of fun with The Rise of Skywalker, but it, mm. it's like when you put those three movies together, they just don't at least in retrospect for me now they don't seem to jibe so we're gonna have to wait until that comes out on blu-ray so that i can watch all three of them consecutively and and form a better opinion oh i thought you were going to say so you can edit it down to a cohesive (laughs) narrative no i you know it's just i i was thinking about this i was in the shower earlier and i was thinking about a new hope like I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, man, just we are so far removed from that kid on Tatooine where you had this really simple story with a good cast of only a few people. And the story was told and it was really good, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and I'm looking at it from that point of view, not how different things were, you know, like... Um, as far as the setting and the characters and their age and their, you know, motivations and what have you. I just mean like in terms of what goes into filmmaking now and the stories that are being told and people's reactions to it. So different. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think the big issue is that um, the first star Wars was an homage to a lot of things at once, uh, such Mm -hmm. as flash Gordon, um, Akira Kurosawa's movies, especially the right. Hidden Fortress, which is almost an identical movie. Um, right. But modern Star Wars movies are trying to be like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's a, like a critical misstep that they, if they want to draw inspiration from outside sources, it should be something so far removed from what we knew as Star Wars that right. it's virtually unrecognizable. And that's why I was a big fan of The Mandalorian, for example, um, mm-hmm. 
which most of it fits what you described of a small cast of characters telling a simple story. Um, there are a couple of episodes that have a whole bunch of people for no reason. Um, Bill Burr and Clancy Brown, for example. You don't like Bill Burr? <laughs> I do, and I like Clancy Brown, but that episode was kind of like, look how we got to be in, or look who we got to be in Star Wars. <laughs> Right. I'm not going to lie though. It still tickled me. Oh yeah. It di- it didn't feel right. It didn't it didn't seem to flow, but I did like the episode. And that and that's actually it's funny. That episode I feel about that episode the same way that I feel about Star Wars in general now like with the sequel trilogy. Like watching it by itself, seeing uh you know certain aspects say for example, uh the way that certain scenes were shot especially with the Mandalorian uh, moving stealthily through the ship, mm. almost like in as if it were a horror film. <laughs> yeah, uh, there were aspects of it that were just awesome, and it's actually one of my more favorite episodes, just because it's so fun to me. Mm-hmm. But it it has no place in my mind with the rest of the story. Yeah, I agree, and uh, and that's kind of how I feel about about the sequel trilogy. It's it's fun. I enjoy it, but when I observe it on the whole, I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's not for me. I, I haven't gone back. And uh, what do you call it? Rise of Skywalker isn't on home video yet, right? Not yet. The thirty first is when that comes out, and I All bought right. it. I bought it. You know why? Because I love Star Wars and I enjoyed <laughs> that movie. Fair enough. You know, uh, speaking of one movie that I watched recently that we're going to talk about tonight, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to go ahead and say this right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. The film UHF is not a good movie. Oh, no. <laughs> but it is, but it is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> and I enjoy watching it. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, I will concede. That it is not the best film made, <laughs> and 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 this uh, honestly, this is a great example of you know what I said a minute ago of a movie knowing what it wants to be, right? And so, uh, if you haven't seen UHF, the bottom line is Weird Al made a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's about him inheriting a, a radio station ill-gotten through or a television gambling. station. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my bad. UHF um, is uh, he gets a television station from his uncle. Is that right? Right. Uh, yeah. And then he, he starts making uncle his Harvey. Uncle Harvey. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then problems happen and hilarity ensues. <laughs> but right. go on, please. I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. It knows exactly what it wants to be. Uh, the plot is paper thin. And there <laughs> there are hardly any aspects of real character in this movie. Um, in fact, <laughs> it's the idea for UHF, I believe. Let's back up a little bit and let's just kind of paint the picture. This film came out in 1989. Mm-hmm. So, number one, you've got 80s everywhere. Uh, it was directed by Jay Levy, and it was co-written by Jay Levy with Weird Al. Now, initially, what they wanted to do was, I mean, they wanted to make a film, 
And they had all of these ideas for, uh, for parodies and jokes, but they didn't know how they could possibly make a movie out of it. Mm -hmm. So basically the idea was, well, what if we had this television station and the jokes and parodies were shows that were on this UHF television station, hence UHF. And that's why there is essentially no plot because the movie was <laughs> just an excuse to give us wheel of fish. Yep. You uh, get nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You're, You're so, so stupid. stupid. Yes. Yeah, but so like and, and before in the plot, before he gets the TV station, right. They the uh, other ideas are daydreams of his or yes. or real dreams of his. So exactly. Yeah, they, they range from popular culture such as um the first one is Raiders of the Lost Ark, except right. it's, it's an Oscar that he steals. Yes, yeah, so I think right off the bat, we he's aware of, of what this is, and he wants us to know that that Oscar is <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yes, it's most assuredly not going to happen. But, yeah, and if so, you're... If, it's not a film of that caliber, so let's get that out of the way. Right, so, so he, he has some ideas, and they fail... But then Michael Richards, who got fired from another radio station and may or may not be mentally challenged in some capacity, uh, is given his own show, and it's a huge hit. I, I do know that there uh, are also some other stars in this movie um, that you may or may not be familiar with, and I don't mean you, you, the, the listener general, out you, there. You listeners out there. <laughs> um, such as Fran Drescher. Um, she's a listener i figured oh. that she probably was well no i meant she was in the movie but hey oh, right. i don't mean to you know denigrate your dreams that fran drescher is finally listening to your podcast no um i'm sure she's out but yeah she was she was in the movie uh and then also billy barty um yes was in this movie in a great role that was not um making fun or taking advantage of little people which i think is is something that uh, little people have to contend with regularly. Right, which, you know, it's it's funny you mention that. Number one, when I saw, when I was watching this on, I think, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, somewhere in there, uh, I had totally forgotten that Billy Barty was in this. So when I saw him, I was just like, yes, <laughs> I love this guy. And you're absolutely right, which is kind of funny because, or that you mentioned that about... Uh, about him being a little person and and that not really having anything to do with the role because as i'm watching this i, I was noticing and i can't think of any concrete examples right now but there seem to be some jokes that maybe would not fly oh today and I, <laughs> I actually when i was thinking about it i should have made a note of it and if it comes back to me i'll uh i will uh certainly mention it but the the uh the setup is or <laughs> our intro introduction into this is the the constant firing of of George right. Newman, the character that that Al plays, Weird Al Yankovic, mm -hmm. Mr. Yankovic plays. And I just wanted to to mention this very quickly that uh, that that fantasy is taking place while he's working at a burger restaurant with his friend Bob, who before I forget, I have to point out looks alarmingly like Ted Levine as Buffalo oh, Bill. No. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately that's all I could see for the rest of the movie. That's too bad. 
I'm sorry to hear that. I, it never yeah. crossed my mind, but I'm never going to watch UHF again now. Oh, come on. You don't like uh, Q Lazarus and... Uh, <laughs> Goodbye horses and playing. Co- and kimonos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but anyway, um, I just I wanted to get that set up that, that that's where we are. And that's really what what begins the film is that he's he's constantly being fired from these menial jobs. And his girlfriend is on the verge of breaking up with him. I'm, I'm trying to fill in the story. Yeah. Just just so we can pretend that there is one <laughs> as we right. go on through this movie. So he, he doesn't want to tell his girlfriend that he gets fired when he goes over to her house for dinner. She's trying to speak to him and have a serious conversation, and he's heaping mashed potatoes onto his plate to create mm. Devil's Peak, and he insists that it means something. This means Which obviously is a reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but the point is he's not paying attention remotely mm. to to anything that he should be paying attention to, and that's kind of kind of where we... Uh, right, which is why he keeps getting fired from places. He's constantly right. daydreaming. So he has these ideas, and he gets the uh, TV station and has an outlet for those ideas to come out. Yeah, and it's really not even important as to how he gets the TV station, because like I said, it just... It, it means absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> none, none of it... To quote Carl Bertanaluski, it doesn't matter. None of this no, matters. It, it, it really doesn't because essentially, as you said before, he, uh, his uncle Harvey won the UHF in, uh, a game of poker. Mm-hmm. And, um, his aunt, I guess, who probably cares about him a little bit more than his uncle suggests that he should give it to, uh, give it to George Newman, which before we go further, I want to point out that the name Newman is, <laughs> An outright homage or reference to Mad Magazine. Oh, right. Alfred, Alfred Newman. Alfred E. Newman. I believe it's E. Newman. Um, so again, you, you kind of get an idea of, of what this movie is and, and what it's going to be. Um, so the station itself is, uh, wow. How would you describe the station, William? You mean, uh, UHF signals versus VHF signals or the like, no, when when he he finds there. (laughs) Yeah, he gets there, and it's basically there's this guy that works there who, uh, oh, I guess, yeah. is the AV operator. Right, he's like Philo. a mad scientist named Philo, who right. um, has a mysterious background that you find out at the end. Uh, <laughs> spoiler: he's he's an extraterrestrial. Yeah, yeah, um, very which has large Marge style to do with anything. Yeah, by the yeah. way, he just is, and then he leaves. Um, but yeah, he, it's, it's just a wreck. Uh, although the front door is pretty cool. It's one of those doors where the yeah. doorknob is in the center, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, I, I, I had forgotten that when they asked, <laughs> when they first meet Philo, he says, this is my home. I live here. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> and then he electrocutes George, um, immediately. Right. And then, um, there's a, by the way, I gotta say, there's a lot of little touches in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. he drives an MG midget, I wanna say. <laughs> like, why? Like, uh, who drives an MG even in the 80s? Right. But anyway, and I'm sure somebody out there in your listenership is going to give me grief for like, well, I had an MG and I loved it. Pixar, it didn't happen. Right. So we meet, uh, the, 
uh, Fran Drescher, who is I, I can't remember her character's name because again, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Right, it's Fran um, Drescher. Is yeah, as far as I know her, and she's the uh, she's the admin there, or I suppose what would have been the secretary at, at that point. And uh, so they're running on what is essentially a bare bones staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I begin to ask myself all of these questions, like, well, how does this work? How does that work? I mean, who's actually paying the bills? <laughs> you know, well, like, I mean, it, it was it was lost in a card game, so. The, those were the vaguest of questions. I mean, I'm sure that there's a whole level of administration involved in running a te- even a UHF television. So, uh, excuse me, television station. But um, with that that said, again, it just it really doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, so, long story short, um, they're able to deduce that, or B- Bob, excuse me, um, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> He's able to deduce that at the current rate of operation or level of operation, however you want to frame that, mm-hmm. the station is going to be broke in a week, and uh, they're going to have to to figure out how to how to keep it running. So that if there is like uh, a goal in the movie, it would be to keep the station running, right? Uh, and they I think, they do as it were. they do run afoul of a, a a network affiliate, which yes, for you kids out there, Channel eight none of this means anything. Uh, back in the day, what's a good example? Like Fox five news here in Georgia. So it's a technically right. a local station, but it's affiliated with Fox. So it has clout that a UHF station, for example, wouldn't have because it's just broadcasting on a, on a very small high number. What they're 62. Is that right? Yes. U 62 is the channel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they run afoul of another station. Uh, so that's that's uh, a plot driver as well. But yeah, so so yep. they're gonna go broke, and everybody's despondent and depressed. And he's got his little um, oh gosh, somebody's clubhouse before it's Michael Richards. Nutsies, Nutsies, yes, Nutsies clubhouse. Yes, that's which it. is kind of like Bozo meets Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. Um, with but no not budget. nearly as entertaining as yeah, <laughs> not nearly as entertaining as either. Right. Um. So uh, this is kind of where I want to talk a little bit about the meat of the movie because again, it has no story. Really, what's going on here is throughout the operation of the station, George Newman, Weird Al's character, he forgets his girlfriend's birthday. And, uh, so she breaks up with him uh-huh. and he has a meltdown on Nazi's clubhouse. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's if, I guess maybe if there is an inciting incident, it wouldn't be the station needing money. It would be that his girlfriend right. broke up with him and he's got to, he's got to pull all of this shit together. So yeah, that is, that's kind of where, where the story I don't want to say comes to a halt, but maybe starts, even though the movie's been on for like 45 <laughs> minutes at this point. Um, yeah. So with Nutsy's Clubhouse, that's one of the, the first ones that, that we're privy to. But uh, throughout this whole time, I think it's important to mention that where there should be story, exposition, and character development, we're basically given daydreams and mm-hmm. non sequiturs. Like basically from <laughs> beginning to end. Yeah, that's that's virtually the entire 
content yes. of the movie. Yes. So it, it, with the inciting incident happening so far into the actual movie, again, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but what do we get before, because I want to talk about some of the other ones, but before we get to Nazi's Clubhouse, we have Wheel of Fish, which I think we briefly mentioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, most, most of the, the successful ones come after Stanley Spadowski's right. Clubhouse. But yes, which we're definitely going to get to. I uh, just want to make sure that we're not forgetting. Oh, there's, um, there's the wildlife one. Um, Raul's Wild World, maybe. Yes. Um, yes. Which has a reference to the treasure of the Sierra Madre in it for some reason. Yeah, that one was, that one was particularly funny to me. <laughs> I, I don't remember it being that funny when we watched this when we were younger, but for some reason, uh, when I was watching it this time, it, it, it was, oh man, I, I was, I lost it. <laughs> was it the teaching poodles how to fly segment? Uh, no, actually, it was when he, there were turtles and he said, we, we didn't know that turtles were actually nature's suction cups. <laughs> and he throws it on the ceiling. On the ceiling and, and then it sticks. But, um, like the thing that really got me, was uh <laughs> when the, the the guy Trinidad Silva <laughs> he picks up the ant farm yep, and he's yep. talking about the ants <laughs> and how awesome they are and what hard workers they are to create these tunnels mm-hmm. and then he leans into the camera and says they really hate it when you do this <laughs> and he just gets this crazed look on his face and shakes it up. Shakes the ant farm and goes, Look at yeah, that. I, They're really mad now. Yeah, I, I lost it. <laughs> Absolutely lost. Especially, it. But yes, so, teaching. <laughs> Go ahead. The the thing is, is that there's there's basically no plot, but in in some of these little bits are hit or miss. Um, but mm-hmm. even so, like even outside of those, the comedic timing sometimes is perfect. Yeah, that is very true. And that is very true. I. I if they had another like creative force on board to like rein in some of the ideas and bring it down into a tighter cohesive narrative, it, they could really have like a comedy classic on their hands. And instead we kind of have like a quirky, weird cult comedy that's still plenty funny, yeah. but not enough people have watched it. And that reminds me in another future episode uh, part, we need to talk about the movie big trouble with Tim Allen. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel that that's something that should happen. Probably, hmm, I, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that this movie is, it, it's as if you brought a mad magazine to life mm. and it, it mingled with Monty Python. Right. I think, um, would be the best. Like, that's the only way that I can sort of describe maybe what you experience. Monty Python reading a mad magazine out loud. Yeah. I mean, because you're, you have these scenes where these characters are interacting and then all of a sudden it'll cut to the TV that's on and it's a commercial. For example, you have Spatula City. Oh, I love which, Spatula City, which is just absurd because it's a, it's a warehouse or excuse me, like a, a warehouse retailer. That sells nothing but spatulas. So the word spatula, I think, is said so many times that the word loses all sense of meaning. Right. Um, yeah. in, in the I commercial like it so itself. much. I bought the company. 
<laughs> and the guy, yeah, he's the president of Spatula City, and he's clearly reading cue cards. You can see his right, eyes yeah. moving back and forth. And it's just, I, I don't know, stuff like that kills me. And then, of course, earlier in the film, we have Crazy Eddie. Crazy Eddie. The, uh, the used car salesman. <laughs> oh, like, I'm yeah. I'm Crazy Eddie. <laughs> if you don't come down to my lot and buy a car today, I'm going to club this baby seal. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so I think maybe that was one of the things, Will, that I was thinking of that would not fly yeah. today if it was if it was in a film. Probably not. Probably not. But, so, I'm, I'm trying to think. I forgot about the commercials. I was thinking more in terms of the shows. But there's also, um, there's also the American Gun Association. Oh, <laughs> guns don't kill people. I do. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a, a talk show where he was... Uh, interviewing someone from from the uh the american gun association which is obviously the nra yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it makes that a very very clear point okay yeah. so so we, we've I, th I think we've established for folks that this is sort of a mixed bag of skits sketches and absolute nonsense mm -hmm. as far as what's on screen so in my mind, the real star of this picture that we need to talk about, and we mentioned the character briefly, uh, after George Newman's meltdown on Nutsy's Clubhouse, after he's been dumped, mm -hmm. he, he, he has uh, Stanley Spadowski that was fired from the affiliate network, and uh, he, he was given a job at the UHF station. He, he leaves the, the set and says and this to Stanley, is Michael hey, Richards, right? Yes, yes. He says, "Hey, you want a job? Your or your own TV show?" And he hands him, I think, the hat and uh, says, "It's all yours." So Stanley goes into Nutsy's clubhouse and just kills it. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Um, George and Bob go to a bar uh, where George orders a blueberry daiquiri, and right. Uh, Somebody, one of the bar patrons says, oh, it's back on. And they turn on the TV and Stanley is killing it, as you said. Rambling incoherently. <laughs> yeah. But the kids are finally having fun on the clubhouse show. And the bar patrons love it. And so the, that starts the meteoric rise of uh, George's station. But yeah, we, we got to talk more about Stanley Spadowski, played by Michael Richards. He's something... That's for yeah, sure. my oh Michael Richards. Well, he was Cosmo Kramer for for starters. Yes, and uh, and the much beloved Seinfeld uh, <laughs> television show, which I love personally. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm more of a fan of Larry David myself. Sure, and uh, curb curb your enthusiasm, but uh, but, but Michael Richards being in that Seinfeld show, without him. right? Exactly. Uh, Michael Richards is an incredibly funny comedic actor who not too long ago although it was some time ago now that i think about it um said some some mm. very culturally insensitive <laughs> things <laughs> on a on during one of his uh stand-up routines to, to put it simply he said some horrific racist things <laughs> to uh a member of the audience and was yes. more or less i i don't know he wasn't like blacklisted or anything but he kind no. of uh, Seinfeld had had ended by that point, so it's not like his career took a nosedive. But yeah. uh, but it was a big deal. He certainly um, he certainly didn't get as much work after that. Uh, no, I want to. Gosh, that was what 
0506, something like that. Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, but yeah, he he kind of fell out of public favor, to say the least, after that. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting thing because when I'm watching this, as funny as he is in that movie, like I kept thinking about that. And this has come up a couple of times in podcasts that I listen to regularly and mm-hmm. also uh, on my own podcast when uh, when I had Mr. Steven Spratling on from the Dead and Lovely Horror Movie Show. They often talk about these things because they are talking about films, you know, throughout uh, or horror movies throughout the last few decades, you know, especially now with the uh, hashtag me too and <laughs> what's going down with all Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a lot of people, a lot of people that have said and done pretty horrible things. Some of them have, well, I mean, Harvey uh, was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for the things that he did. And, um, there have just been a very large number of people that have said and done horrible things, but have also been a part of, were involved in, produced, directed, or starred in, or some combination of those things and things that have really enhanced our lives. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's a weird thing, you know, because you, you kind of enter this moral, gray area or dialogue with yourself about can you still support these people or can you still like these movies that you grew up with mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. and so it's it's a it's a tricky patch for sure yeah and i mean stuff like that is happening even now you know like uh, john tron comes to mind as a youtube personality who uh, i want to say went on reddit maybe and, and said a bunch of uh frankly ignorant stuff um and lost mm-hmm. a, uh, lost a lot of viewership and subscribers after that. Um, and, and, but the thing is, yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed his videos a lot. Um, hearing he was very talented and very funny, but it, it's hard for me to find joy in his comedy when I know in the back of my mind that he's got some pretty ignorant ideas. Now, yeah, I, I find Michael Richards only slightly more palatable. Um, only because of the way that went down, right? Um, still pretty bad. Yeah, but and and the thing about Stanley Spadowski too is it's it's such a character mm-hmm. that I can at times forget that it's Michael Richards, and yeah. I don't think that him uh, shouting racial epithets at a an audience member during one of his stand-up performances like carries over or bleeds into what he's doing in uhf so i can kind of i can kind of deal with it mm-hmm. yeah I, but, I, uh, I would agree. The, but the thing about stanley spadowski is he's kind of the key character in this movie yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't have much else going on without it no so we have stanley spadowski's uh, clubhouse at this point and as you said before that kind of rescues the station and ushers in the viewership uh so then they're able to um embrace the station and and are driven to expand the content mm-hmm. and so, making uh, films such as gandhi 2 um yes conan the librarian <laughs> Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> he cuts that kid in half. Brilliant. There are a number of things that were on the uh, the broadcast schedule. Right. And I thought that I had written them down. I wanted to get like a good sampling of them. So we didn't actually see these. 
Right. You just hear George um, talking about them. Well, they're actually they're on the the oh. <laughs> they're on the sign. Right. Uh, or on the slot. So you mean so you don't, we, have, we don't see the actual no, footage we, of right? Yeah, we gotcha. don't actually see it in the movie. We have Leave It to Bigfoot, <laughs> The Wonderful World of Flim, mm-hmm. Name That Stain, The Young and the Dyslexic, and uh, let's see, The Flying Pope also. <laughs> and then we have the most interesting one to me. Now I didn't get to look at all of them, but after I saw this one, I didn't really feel like I needed to see any more of them. And that is bestiality today. <laughs> so I'm not really, I don't remember not really sure. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very much present and uh, was was part of their lineup. I'm kind of curious as to what the uh, the FCC's um, regulation of the UHF station is all about. Yeah, I, it makes me wonder whether there was any regulation going on at all. If you're pirate. Um, television. That's that's basically it. I mean, we have two. Actually, no. I think we only have one parody song in right. in the movie. Well, we ha- we have one full length parody song, but I, I want to say there's at least one other instance where um, one of Weird Al's songs is present in the movie. And that's Which one the, was it? It's I want to be your hog. Is that say. Iggy Pop? Well, it's it's Weird Al's. Uh, Let me be your dog. Right. That was that was the Stooges, wasn't it? Yeah, Iggy and the Stooges was Let Me Be Your Dog, and so Weird Al's Let Me Be Your Hog was playing in one scene. But other than that, yeah, I did think not it's, notice that. Uh, it's when uh, Uncle Harvey's at the pool. But then, um, yeah, there's there's only the Beverly Hillbillies in the style of Dire Straits. Right. Got that very Mark Knopfler riff nailed down. Right. Which was based on, or the, it was spoofing the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. Hey, quick so aside. So that was incredible. Um, in case you weren't aware, here's a little tidbit of trivia for you where mm-hmm. um, Weird Al's other song, this is outside UHF, but it's uh, he has a song, Trapped in the Drive-Thru, which is a <laughs> pastiche of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. And there's a moment where he right. says, I turn on the radio and Black Dog by Led Zeppelin starts playing. Um, but it's actually not the track by Led Zeppelin. It's a band Weird Al had to hire or, or put together to re-record it because he didn't like um, the sample he had for Black Dog. That's crazy. Yeah. And I have heard that, by the way. I saw oh. like a like a video animation. I don't remember if that was around the time that Newgrounds was still oh, doing it's its thing. Oh, it definitely looks like it. Yeah, I, and I, it's been some years, obviously, since I saw it. But, um, but yeah, so uh, Stanley Spadowski, his, his clubhouse <laughs> is basically what saves, what saves the network and, or, or, or for the time being, saves the network and inspires them to greatness. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> There is one particular instance where they're moving through segments of his club, and he's just like a whirlwind of mm-hmm. character. He's constantly in motion, and uh, <laughs> he's he's got a uh, this. You, the camera kind of comes over to this this kid, and he's in this kiddie pool filled with oatmeal. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, you found the marble in the oatmeal. You're a lucky, lucky boy. You get to drink from the fire hose." And then he's he's set on this sawhorse, 
<laughs> he's wearing a fireman's cap. He says, are you ready? Open wide. And the fire hose just blasts this kid like 10 feet across the studio. And it's, it's pretty uh, convincing, too. I, surely yes, they didn't it blast a child with a fire hose, but it looks I don't pretty think good. It did look pretty good. And I'm just here to tell you right now, Will, we don't see enough little kids being put through the paces <laughs> <laughs> in films these days. You know, that seems to be like a really big no-no in Hollywood. But you know what? I'm all about kids <laughs> flying across the room. Actually, you know, it was due date where Robert Downey Jr. gut punched that kid. Oh, my gosh. And I haven't thought about that movie since it came out. That's too bad because it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's It's one of those things that you just don't ever see. For whatever reason, I guess people feel it's insensitive. I disagree um, because we've all wanted to punch a kid at some point in yeah. time, and and then that happens in the film, and you just and you you identify with it immediately. <laughs> I, uh, I'll to paraphrase Jim Gaffigan. I think he said something in one of his stand-up routines about um, when you see a kid fall off a skateboard, doesn't it make your day just a little better? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, Will, I'm just saying. Mm. Um, so, of course, for this to be a, a a cohesive film, if it if it's to resemble anything remotely cohesive, we have to be introduced to a looming threat after our characters get to experience some sort of joy. Mm. Um, and that is, that brings us back to Uncle Harvey, who... His gambling problem gets him into some hot water, and he has to raise, I think, $65,000 because that's what he owes. In cash. Uh, this, yes, this unnamed, faceless <laughs> mobster character, which is just uh, outrageous. Uh, he, all you can see is his arm as he's smoking a cigar like fucking Dr. Claw yeah. from uh, Inspector Gadget. So. Yeah, he's he's into it for sixty five thousand dollars, and I think he has got twenty four hours to get it Something to him, like which that, is always yeah. that yeah the that, movie trope the quint the quintessential twenty four hours. So he feels that he can he needs to raise it very quickly. He remembers he has this UHF station, so he attempts to sell it to uh, to the, the big wig at yeah. Channel Eight. Yeah, so that they can own that station. Um, Who, by the way, was so in that's, the second, no, the original um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I want to say. He was the main character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually, that is correct. Um, Kevin McCarthy was hmm. uh, that character. And I remember him from the Twilight Zone. And there was something else that he was in that, uh, that he stood out in. I always kind of get him confused with... Leslie Nielsen, I guess, because they kind of, they didn't have the same persona, obviously, but just the, maybe the type of movies that they were in mm. um, later on in their careers, I think, um, seemed to be a similar track. But anyway, so, so that's the, uh, that's the impending doom that they have to overcome for us to reach a resolution and have a happy ending. So what they do is they decide to have, uh, like a telethon. That uh, is going to raise this money. So, and they seem to be doing pretty well at first. At first, um, until <laughs> until Stanley is kidnapped by Channel Eight, and and basically their plan is to hold him hostage until the twenty four hours is up, 
so that the sale will go through. Right, and once once he gets kidnapped, the calls for the telephone, the pledges stop coming in. Yes, they dry up almost exactly. And this this begins another dream ish sequence of Rambo two or Rambo three, probably somewhere in between. Right. Uh, except Rambo yeah. is played by Weird Al Yankovic in a muscle suit. Yes, and it is terrifying. <laughs> it is absolutely terrifying to it, see it's because my it glistens. Segment of the movie. It yeah, it's it's uh, it's like a greased up fake muscle suit that he's wearing. <laughs> and it's Yeah, it just doesn't look right at all cuz he clearly uh, <laughs> it's it's upsetting. I I'm I'm gonna have to let you keep that one, Will. It's, it's I, w- I, I could go my whole life without whoever, whoever ever did that seeing makeup him. job. Get should get a raise. Um, yeah, yeah, they did a good job, but it is a little weird. In the daydream, he rescues Stanley almost immediately, but in reality, he's just he bursts into the other competitor television station and is immediately also captured. Yes, but it's important to know that here he <laughs> screams. <laughs> <laughs> As he comes through the door, he kicks the door down you know, and screams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got his, his <laughs> lip curled out, you know, imitating uh, Stallone. He screams, oh, and worst that's nightmare. pretty much all there is. To and that. then a gun gets pointed at him, and he, he <laughs> fails. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh-huh. that didn't work out very well for him. Um, but what what happens? What happens? Will is that. Stanley Spadowski sees, after his blindfold comes off, <laughs> his mop that had been stolen uh, from him by the the head of the network. R.J. Fletcher, that's his name. R.J. Fletcher. Uh, yep. Yeah. After he fires Stanley, he keeps his mop, which apparently was his personal mop that right, he's had since he was eight years station. old. Right. So he sees his mop. And he gains superpowers <laughs> <laughs> after he sees his mop, and he's able to uh, subdue his captors. So yeah, I know that that sounds ridiculous, and Only that because is it because is. it is. Yep, exactly. Yes, it is. It is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so he gets back to the station. Seventy five thousand dollars was was the magical sum, <laughs> and. Uh, and hey, all is happy end. Oh well, don't don't forget that uh, R.J. Fletcher is undone by the homeless man he gave change to, who turned in one of the pennies R.J. Fletcher gave him that was worth thousands of dollars, and the uh, homeless man uses those thousands of dollars to pledge uh, and buy shares for U sixty two. Right. Yes, that was that was my last note. As a matter of fact, oh, um, sorry. Nope, it's okay. You uh, you nailed that, and I'm grateful to you. So now I don't have to. All I really want to do at this point is I want to reiterate <laughs> that all this movie is is one gag after non sequitur, after <laughs> brief sketch after the other. I mean, I feel like we kind of did it justice. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing is, if you're interested in seeing any of these individual segments. Okay, let me start over. If you're interested in seeing the movie, by all means, go check it out. If you're only interested in seeing one of the pieces that we've mentioned, go find just that piece on YouTube and watch it. And if you like it, watch another one. Yeah, uh, that's that would be my advice also. Um, because I have a list of my favorite jokes here. 
<laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to give them all away because that would kind of take some of the magic away mm-hmm. from uh from some of the listeners who haven't seen UHF. Um but one of the things that I do want to mention because this this is the humor that I just absolutely love so much and one of the reasons why I keep watching this movie even though it's not good is because some of the jokes are just hilarious. Like when RJ Fletcher, uh, the head of the network affiliate is bitching at his employees. He mm-hmm. looks at an employee who's wearing this ridiculous cowboy hat with a raccoon tail this, hanging this off the back of it. Too. Yes. He looks at him and he says, Hey, you take that ridiculous thing off. And the employee. <laughs> He looks sullen and peels off a fake mustache that he had been wearing that looked totally real. <laughs> it's just it's, it, that kills me. I mean, that's, that is that's that is the kind of stuff the I best love. Joke in that movie, take yeah, that so, ridiculous thing off. And again, it's that the timing of the guy looking up all sad and then slowly reaching up, and he peels off his mustache. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, there's, there's one more actually. I think some of my favorite jokes in this movie actually come from, uh, the Channel 8 network when, mm-hmm. uh, when Fletcher is talking about how they basically need to get their act together and they would disappoint his father, Fletcher Sr. He says, what do you think Fletcher Sr. would say if, <laughs> if he were here now? And, and his son turns to oh, one of the guys and says, box, <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was is genius. Uh, so this movie oh, is not without merit. Sorry, but that that that's Jambi the genie. Um from Pee Wee's Playhouse, really. The guy that says, Help, I can't breathe. Why am I in this box? Get me out of here. RJ Fletcher's son is um Jambi the Genie. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure. I will definitely have to look into that, but that. I mean, look, this movie is not without merit. I, I, I know right. I said in the beginning that it was bad, and it is. But sometimes things are so bad that they're good. And UHF, I think, is one of those. I have, I have to agree that it is not a good movie. Your, your, your life will not be enriched in the way that if you went and watched Akira Kurosawa's Dreams or In the Mood for Love or something your life is not enriched in the way that it would be after watching one of those movies. But I do think, as you said, part that there is merit and your life mm-hmm. will be Absolutely. enriched in at least nothing else. You got some laughs out of it. Yeah. And, um, and it will also make you realize that you are probably as a fan of film capable of putting something together that, uh, that someone will buy and, and release to the unsuspecting public. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's actually a um, there's a legend of a, a punk rock show in I want to say the late seventies, early eighties, that was so bad that basically every member of the audience went on to form a much more successful punk rock band. Well, I know what you're talking about, but I cannot remember what it is. It's I, but I know I know what you I know the uh, the situation that you're referring to. Uh, I do have to ask this as well. Um, sure. So. Obviously, we're talking about this movie made by Weird Al Yankovic, but I have mm-hmm. to ask what your favorite Weird Al song is. Hmm. That's actually, that's kind of a tough one. Um, 
I was listening to his first record today. As a matter of fact, I think it's. I think the first record is just it's Weird Al, right? I, I think that's what it is. Is just Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, and um, you're you're already close to my favorite, and, I'll, and I want to see if if you're going to say the one that's my favorite. Well, I mean, probably not because I'm not that complicated. Um, and it doesn't take that much to amuse me. So eat it is, is one oh, okay. of my favorites, but Classic. not, not my absolute favorite. I don't think, um, let's see. I think another one rides the bus is probably my favorite just because, just because it like his take on Freddie Mercury's vocals, like he's obviously <laughs> not going to be able to match that at all. So like he's just unabashedly fucking silly. With how yeah. he imitates Freddie Mercury, and that to me is hilarious. So that's probably my favorite one. Got it. My my favorite is from that same album, um, and it's Mr. Frump and the Iron Lung, um, which has, to me, the funniest chorus of any song ever. Um, it, it's it, The verses are him talking about how he goes to visit Mr. Frump at the mm-hmm. hospital. And how cool Mr. Frump is because Mr. Frump never like puts him down or, or talks back. And uh-huh. all, every chorus is, and this was Mr. Frump's reply or, or this is what he said. And it's always just the sound of an iron lung pumping. Oh my God. I actually don't remember that track. What was that spoofing I, anything in particular? No, no. It's just one of Weird Al's own like little little songs kind of like since you've been gone by weird al right um where he talks about all these horrible horrible things and then says it's almost as bad as when you were still here right Um, yes now i will tell you that um the one that sticks out in my mind the most and i couldn't tell you the name of the track Mm -hmm. but it's the one that parodies the crash test dummies oh i think it has the same title does it really? I want to say it's the same title as the Crash Test Summit song. I don't know what else it could possibly be, but yes. And I remember that because when we were younger, like that was the time that Crash Test Dummies were really popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were playing that song left and right. Yeah. Like God shuffled his feet also. Um, right. And then the video for, for Weird Al's song was playing in rotation. And uh, I remember the video being particularly funny yeah the so all i i don't know about the song by the crash test dummies um but i do know that everything that weird al sings about in his song mm-hmm. i want to say we're all news stories from the recent yes. like last year yes um, it uh there was the kid that was caned in singapore mm-hmm. uh, there was lorena bobbitt Lorena Bobbitt, yeah. And uh, let's see. I can't remember what was the, the other one. one. Yeah, I can't. Uh, and that was on Alapalooza. I, <laughs> and I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what, what the other one was. So we're just um, going to have to. We're just going to have to fall short on that one. Oh, well. There is one more thing. And uh, it's one of my favorite bands of all time. Is mm-hmm. They Might Be Giants. And yeah, I want to say that Weird Al wrote a song that was basically not parodying they might be giants but more like mm-hmm. poking fun at they might be giants right uh i want to say it was everything you know is wrong maybe i'll have to give that a listen 
I'm glad um, you said that though, because uh, I was thinking about that today. I was like, you know, they might be giants as one of those, or are, I should say, one of those groups oh, yeah. that you would fit into the category with Weird Al. Not that they parody things so much as they bring like an intelligent and whimsical feeling to the songs that they write. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, would, uh, I would classify them as absurd alternative rock, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But not, not but it's, cl- it's clever. Of, right. I, I was going to say, not in the, the sense of absurdity as solely comedy, but the absurd in the sense of it, it's off the, oh gosh, if I say off the wall nonsense, that sounds like comedy too, but just something so out of left field that you are forced to consider things in a new way. Um, right. Such as the song where your eyes don't go, there's a scarecrow. What is it? Um, doing a parody of each exact thing you do. Yeah, um, that's the, the the lyrics are certainly at times at least seemingly profound. Oh, I I I find a great deal of profundity. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> in in the lyrics, they might be giants. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely contemporaries. Unfortunately, they never made a movie, and Weird Al did. Uh, it's probably on Tiny Toons Adventures. Uh, that is true. That's where I fact. first remember hearing them. Yep. And uh, did you see them at the Georgia Theater where they played? Will? Yes. Uh, in fact, I thought oh, you we're did. Not on, we're not on camera, are we? Um, no. In in the office here, I've got a poster from that show because a friend of mine oh, was security at that show. That's that's so cool. I wish I could have been there. There have been some amazing shows at the Georgia Theater that I missed out on. Tom Waits mm. and the fucking Georgia Theater missed that. They might be giants. Missed that. Uh, Primus missed that. Oh wow. Uh, let's yeah. see. It seems like Tony there was Clifton. somebody else that played there. Really? Oh yeah. I, I saw Tony. Cli- I was on stage on that one. He. I got really to go up on stage and get harangued by Tony Clifton. Oh, um, I remember you telling me that. Now I had completely forgotten about that. That is awesome. I mean, it was so you've had some good times. Five maybe. <laughs> Oh, that's only fifteen years ago. Only fifteen. Any closing? Any closing remarks on UHF that you want to make before we split? Not only that, you know, if you know, we we started this conversation talking about enjoying film and and being critical of film. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this is a situation where you know, don't worry about it. Just just enjoy what you enjoy about UHF and understand that you may not enjoy all of it. You might hate it. As a you might of fact. hate it, but I guarantee that at some point in that movie, you're going to laugh. Yeah, yeah. At, at least appreciate the lost art form of things like uh, that seem to have fallen out of the spotlight or or uh, mainstream interest. Things like Mad, uh, not Mad TV, but Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. Just that sort of that sort of uh, almost <laughs> vulgar parody. And and I don't yeah. mean vulgar in the sense of uh, how would you say dirty or gross or naughty, but un un uh, what would you un, say uncouth lowbrow lowbrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the yes that type of lowbrow humor. But uh, so yeah, I I enjoy UHF and I imagine that I will continue to do so. But yeah, all yeah. right, William, I say thank you for being here again my pleasure thank you for having me yeah man and uh we'll definitely have you back on the program before the year is out i'm almost 100 percent positive of that hopefully hopefully you hopefully you feel the same way oh i look forward to it by all means awesome all right buddy you have a good night you too man
Alrighty, y'all, that is it. I did say that it would be brief, and brief it was. Thanks again to Will for joining me. It's always a pleasure to have him on the show. Definitely enjoy catching up with my brother, and always enjoy talking flicks with that guy. He's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. So, that is it for the show, but we do have in our upcoming episodes a look at Star Wars Episode Four. A New Hope, as well as the new regular episode of the Sleeping Giant podcast, which will air in June. And uh, in that episode, I will be joined by Stephen Marcotte, and we will be talking about John Wick, Part 3, Chapter 3, the third John Wick film. Not the final John Wick film, but the third one. I think the Marcots are starting to take over this podcast, and you know what? I'm fine with that. I think that we're pretty good at it, so uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thanks for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Until next time, y'all.